and I want to pick it up there and move forward some. Uh, what we are talking about here actually spans three different time periods. God says that he is going to bring these millennial conditions uh, just prior to Christ's return <coughs> to the church in order to be a witness to the world that he is God and that he is quite capable of blessing his people so that we can be a light set on a hill and they can look at that and through that see God. So it's a short period of time that it occurs, starting fairly soon now and probably continuing through until the first resurrection. So just a few years of it. Then, of course, comes a millennium which will have the same conditions of peace and security and plenty for all. Then that last great day, which appears to be a hundred years, we don't know that for sure because Isaiah 65 was misused in using that amount of time for it, but it could be that. Uh, when all the peoples of the earth will be resurrected who have not had an opportunity at salvation and be given that opportunity, but it will be under the same conditions as what we are about to see for ourselves, for the millennium, and for those people at that time. God will be ruling on the earth. Uh, Christ will be dwelling with us for those few years. Then he and the Father will rule on the earth during the millennium and through the last great day. So what we're talking about here in these chapters of Isaiah spans a short period, a long period, and then perhaps a shorter period, but all with the same conditions. Notice toward the end, uh, where we stopped yesterday of chapter 48, he says, Go forth out of the Babylonians, flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing declare you. Tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say you, the Eternal has redeemed his servant Jacob. So the time that we are to declare God's blessing is the time when we're fleeing from the beast power. You're headed for Zion, and you're saying God has redeemed his servant Jacob. So people will have on their lips the signs and the wonders that God is going to do here at the end that is going to turn them and let them see where God is actually going to do this. Then they will head there, just ahead of the northern army, as I, Jeremiah 50 shows us, and asking the way to Zion, because that's where the redeemed will gather. <clears throat> so we're still in this time period before Christ returns is one of the main points I want to make here. And the other is that God will have intervened to the point the people will recognize that. And he says, tell the world <laughs> by what you do. Uh, you're not afraid of them. You're not afraid of their 666. You're not afraid of their mark. You're not afraid of being able, not able to buy and sell. And we'll see in a little bit why we don't need to worry about whether we can buy and sell when this all comes down. And it's getting close uh, and closer. They are experimenting with all kinds of implants now to get it, the people used to it, before they impose it upon everyone. And they will collapse the financial system 
And then everyone will say, oh, give me that so I can buy and sell. So it's all set up and prepared and on its way. But we will be able to sing God's praises. And then he reminds us in verse 21, They thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. So he's saying, I'm telling you to talk about my deliverance, and I want to remind you that I've taken care of you before. So you can trust me and believe in me, have faith that I will take care of you. It's going to be a scary time. When we've seen some civil war, when we've seen armies gathering about our borders, and it's time to get out of the cities and into the wilderness for all the remnant from around the world of God's faithful. It'll be a scary time. So the point here is, trust God. Uh, believe that he will take care of you. And then he says there is no peace peace to the wicked, but there will be peace. As Haggai says, I'll bring peace in this place, speaking of Zion and where we're to build a temple at Jerusalem. So getting into chapter 49 then, uh, Israel is personified here. It says, listen, isles, and it means coastlines really, all the way around the coast of our country. Uh, I think I looked that up in the Hebrew, and it's uh, when it says isles like that, it means coastlines. And that's where most of the people live, isn't it? The big cities, most of them are around the coastlines and the preponderance of the population. <clears throat> The Eternal has called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name. He told Abraham before Isaac was even born uh, that he would be. It was a promise. So it was from the womb. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword, and the shadow of his hand has he hid me and made me a polished shaft, and his quiver has he hid me. So the world does not know where Jacob is. They don't know where the tribes of Israel are. I see people today who are saying, I mean, these are the leading religious people of the biggest organizations and those who think they're prophets, and they say, it's just hard to believe that the United States isn't mentioned in prophecy. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's impossible to believe. The biggest, most powerful nation on earth wouldn't be mentioned in prophecy? Give us a break here. Who's God talking to? Fiji? You know, no, God has hid Jacob. <laughs> it says so right here. I never noticed that before. There's so many phrases in here. If you focus on them, it's amazing what the story is. We've The, the lost ten tribes, they're called. They're lost. Nobody knows where they are. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Then he says, you're my servant, O Israel, whom I in whom I will be glorified. So God is going to show his glory, his power, his might through Jacob. Spiritual Jacob, first. Then I said, I've labored in vain. I spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the eternal and my work with my God. I have felt those words and felt those emotions more times than I can remember. Just what he said right there. We read these things, we see how God is going to take care of his people, we believe it, 
And yet, we are so small, we are so weak, so old, so ineffectual, you look at yourself and say, this is all in vain, this is, it's not happening, I've spent my strength for nothing. Uh, yet surely, I know my judgment is with God and my work with my God. So we might doubt ourselves, we might doubt our capacities and our abilities, but we don't doubt God's capacity to do what he said he would do. Therefore, our faith is not in us, it's in God. Because we, of ourselves, can do nothing, even as Christ said he couldn't either. But I feel that futility sometimes. Who am I? Who are we? We're nothing. Remember Amos? (laughs) Who will help Jacob, for he is small? I will intervene just before the lights go out, before the flesh fails before me. We'll probably read that one a little bit. And now, says the Eternal, that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Eternal, and my God shall be my strength. So that's where we sit right now, just before... Spiritual Jacob is gathered, and we're looking to God for his deliverance, though Israel be not yet gathered. We're right on the cusp of that happening, so we have to say, it it hasn't happened yet, yet God will be my strength. He's the one I look to. And he said, it is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. So God says, I will raise you up. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. I'll set you on a hill, be a light to the world. That's said right here, and Christ told us that in the Sermon on the Mount. So he, he spoke these prophecies in the New Testament. Anyway, he goes down verse 8, he says, Thus says the Eternal, In an acceptable time have I heard you, and in a day of salvation have I helped you, and I will preserve you and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. I think this is a partial quote of Isaiah 61, 1-4, and Luke 4, 17, where he proclaimed the acceptable day of the Lord, and or year of the Lord, uh, the Jubilee. And we're leading up to the Jubilee, which it appears will be in 2027 when it is announced at a, the Feast of Atonement. So we're in this time right now just leading up to that. So he's already referring to it here. Uh, In a day of salvation have I helped you, and I will preserve you, and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, the cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Who is he going to work with to do that? The first fruits, the bride of Christ. They will be blessed here at the end. They will be shown the glory of God, and through them the Gentiles will see the glory of God, then they're actually going to be glorified at the first trump, come back with Christ to rule the world. So that's what he's saying right here. We'll be the ones to establish the earth and inherit the desolate heritages. 
and you'll be able to say to the prisoners, Go free. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. No more hunger or thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. Weather's going to change, food's going to be abundant, everything's going to be good. It's not going to be too dry in Arizona, it ain't going to be too humid in Houston. Uh, God's going to fix all this stuff. (laughs) And the desert will bloom as a rose, as we read in Isaiah 35. Let's move on. Uh, Verse 14, But Zion said, The Eternal has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Uh, we, We feel right now, since God has spewed the church, and everything has gone foul, or a foul, uh, things have been bad, they've been troublesome, they've been confusing, and you can begin to say, God's forgotten us, you know? We're dying out. We're forgotten. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget. I was talking to someone yesterday who was feeding their baby. And I says, oh, you're not going to forget to feed the baby? Oh, no. My husband might, but I won't. (laughs) That's what he says here about a mother. Will not forget her sucking child. It can't be done. You will remember. So God says, I am equating myself to that. I will not forget you. Behold, I have graven you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that made you waste shall go forth from you. God says he'll run our enemies off. Everything will be taken care of. Why do we fear? We're human. Sorry, we still are. So God has to keep reminding us over and over again. Verse after verse after verse Hey, I'm going to take care of you. Don't you believe me? When I return, will I find faith on earth? Good question. Not very much. That's for sure. Lift up your eyes round about and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to you. That's Haggai. God will stir them to come. As I live, says the Eternal, you shall surely clothe you with them, or with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on you as a bride does. Put your, you, take good care of them. Put them on carefully. A bride probably dresses more carefully on her wedding day than any other day of her life, I would assume, and has all kinds of people helping her or hindering her or whatever they do in there. He says, I'm going to send you these people. Take good care of them. For your waste and your desolate places and the land of your destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants, and they that swallowed you up shall be far away. The children which you shall have, after you have lost the other, shall say again in your ears, The place is too small for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Now, based on this scripture and others, I have felt for a long time that this 110 acres we have is not big enough. He says Jerusalem will be built 
as towns without walls in Zechariah 2, and he'll be a defense and a wall of fire around them, and much men and cattle. There's not room here for much men and cattle. So this is only a beginning gathering place, and they'll say it's too small, we need more room. I mean, we can, maybe we'll have the gold and the silver to do it with, maybe we'll need to buy a few thousand tents, which will cost quite a bit of money. And have to haul water to them. Not very far here. I've seen people in Africa hauling their water on their heads for miles just to have water in their cardboard jack. Watch them do it. So, God is going to move us to other areas up around Jerusalem. And uh, He says there in Isaiah 15, into 15, that the, the inhabitants have stored up food and so on. It'll be here for God's people. Ammonites and Moabites and so on. Uh, I think referring to the Mormons. You may inter, interbreed and have incest like uh, Lot's daughters did, and I think they're descendants of those daughters. Anyway, that's a, a little aside, but plenty will be here, Okay. So I need more room to, to live. Then you shall say in your heart, Who has begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children? Even we out here in this little group have lost a lot of people, and we're going to lose some more. I don't mean you. I mean those rebels who are still here are going to go away too. So we will have lost those children. I'm desolate, a captive, removing to and fro. We, you know, We're kind of confused. We don't know where we're going to wind up next. Who has brought up these? I was left alone. These, where had they been? And suddenly they're going to show up from all over the world, north, south, east, and west. They're going to show up, thousands of them. He says he'll set up his standard to the people in verse 22. Uh, he says an ensign or a standard, uh, Zerubbabel, will be set up there in the last uh, verse or two of the book of Haggai. Uh, says down at the end of verse 25, I will save your children. Uh, that means our spiritual children, and perhaps it may even mean some of our physical children. Because of our obedience, remember there in 1 Corinthians 7, when it's talking about the marriage situation, it says if one parent is converted, God uh, sets aside the children uh, or to, for protection and for help. I can't say the word that he puts there. Uh, but they are blessed or sanctified, I think is the word Paul used, because of the obedience of one parent. So, you know, I have children out there who are not paying attention to God right now. They grew up in a church. They know what's right, but they're not paying attention. Uh, some of them are getting in enough trouble right now with conditions that they might start paying attention again. I don't know. But he says, I'll save your children. And it might mean, it might mean some of our physical children who are not being called yet, but will be because that's the case through most of the church, is the children were not called, and God's working with that generation of old people that will not die out before Christ returns, as he tells us there in Matthew 24, or 5. <clears throat> anyway, I will feed them, verse 26, that oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I, the Eternal, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. So the world's going to start beating on themselves. 
chewing each other up while we're being protected in Zion. What an incredible thing. And they're going to know who God is based on the treasures that will be dug up that prove to the world who God is by the signs and wonders that God does and by the millennial conditions He gives His people to live in in Zion during the tribulation and up to and building the temple in, in Jerusalem and on through the tribulation. So then he says, verse chapter 50, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Hasn't he pretty much put the church away? He's going to call a 10% remnant back. Just as he divorced ancient Israel, he's basically divorced the church, and he said clearly he had divorced the Jews in the Matthew 23. He says, Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Our mother, the church, has been put away, been spewed out because of our transgressions. So he keeps telling us he'll take care of us, and then he reminds us, But you've got to do your part. Got to do your part. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinks because there's no water and dry, dies for thirst. He says, can I, can I save? Look at the things I've done. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. Day of the Lord, he's going to do that. Then Isaiah says, The Eternal has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. That is an interesting verse, because Isaiah is... One to me, one of the most inspiring sections of the entire Bible. It's, it's as if Isaiah was given a special ability to encourage, to strengthen, to help. I think the Apostle John might be close to that in the New Testament. He was the one that showed the most godly love. And when you read the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the kindness and the love uh, is personified more there than it is in any of the, of the writings of the New Testament. And Isaiah seems that way in the Old Testament. So when you need encouragement, you can go to the Psalms. They often are a great source of encouragement and strength. But Isaiah isn't far behind that either. Uh, he's very, very good at telling us what God will do for us. It says in verse 5, The eternal God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious neither turned away back. Then he talks about some of the things that happened to Christ. But Isaiah, in a sense, is a type of Christ. As are really all of us. We need to understand that. Every one of you here is a type of Christ. Some types are stronger than others in terms of what they will do in prophecy. But lay this burden on yourself. <laughs> Doesn't he say that you are to be like Christ in every way and to bring every thought into captivity, to walk as he walked? So we're all supposed to look like Christ and act like Christ. What is a type? You say, well, I'm the same type as my mama. I'm the same type as my daddy. 
Well, you genetically, you share a great deal of that, and you will look like and act like them sometimes. Well, Christ says, look like and act like me. Be a type of me. Make it as close a type as you can. So when I say somebody is a type of Christ, it may be in a little more intimate sense than you and I might be as just normal human beings, but we all are that. And we need to live with that knowledge and with that recognition, that awareness day to day. So he was like Christ, and he ran around naked and apparently may have been even sawed in half from stem to stern, right up from his crotch to his head. That's the Jewish uh, tradition in any case. Probably one of the kindest man that wrote in the Old Testament and probably died the most violent death of them all. So he talks somewhat about the way Christ was and how, and I think he's talking here about the leader at the end time, probably Zerubbabel, who will also be persecuted uh, by the world, as will both the witnesses and you and me, all of us. So let's go down to 51. This one starts to be very encouraging here. Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness. Now, we're not righteous. We're not glorified yet here. We're not in the millennium yet. We're still following after. (laughs) Behind, but following after righteousness, okay? You that seek the eternal. We haven't found him in that sense yet. He's not here with us. We're still seeking him. He says, seek me with all your heart and you will find me. So he, he tells us what to do. Look to the rock whence you are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. So here is the second level that I see in Malachi 4, where it says that the Elijah would, would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. First level... We've got to turn our hearts to God in heaven. The second level is we have to look to those who came before us who obeyed God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. Go to Hebrews 11 and see who to follow. We're to turn our hearts to be like those people were, and they're the ones that serve God better than anybody has since Adam and Eve walked the earth. So if we're to get close to God, it helps to look at the examples and the lives of the patriarchs. That's what he tells us to do right here at the end time. And then the third level, of course, is physical fathers and physical children. Now let's go on and see. We're to look to Abraham and Sarah, where we came from. For the Eternal shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the eternal. Joy and... uh, I've got that kind of marked through uh, somethingness. uh, Shall be found therein thanksgiving and the voice of melody. So we're still not in the millennium here yet. And God is going to, if we will look to Abraham and Sarah, He's going to turn our wilderness. Where do we live? In the wilderness. We're not in the, are we in the millennium? No, we're still in the wilderness. Or we're still in the city, which is even worse. Uh, 
But while we're there, He's going to make this wilderness as Eden and the desert like the Garden of the Eternal, which is Eden as well. So we're going to see this desert blossom as a rose in this wilderness, and it's going to be a limited area, probably limited to the original promised land, would be my guess. And uh, the rest of the world will, and it'll be a, have a wall of fire or defense around it. People say, are all these volcanoes around here going to run everybody off? I don't know, maybe so. But in any case, uh, there will be a defense around it so that we cannot be harmed or hurt just like they were in the Garden of Eden. Hearken to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make uh, my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near. It's not here yet. It's near. My salvation is gone forth, and my arm shall judge the people. The coast shall wait upon me, and on my arm shall they trust. So he says, look up to the, your eyes to the heavens and the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. So this is talking of the time just before the day of the Lord, when all these things are going to begin to happen, that the desert will bloom as a rose, and their people are going to die. <clears throat> but my salvation shall be forever. Hearken to me, you that know righteousness. We know it, but we need to listen. The people in whose heart is my law. Again, fear you not the reproach of men. How often are we seeing that? Don't fear men. Neither be afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up. Then in verse 9 he says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the eternal. Awake as in the ancient days. So here's a call for God to wake up and do his work. Wake up like you did at uh, the Red Sea. Wake up like you did at the Jordan crossing. Wake up like you did when the Assyrians came to destroy and you sent Gideon out there with 300 guys and pitchers and had the Assyrians destroy each other. They'll destroy their own flesh. <clears throat> then he says, aren't you the one that dried the sea in verse 10? Verse 11, Therefore the redeemed of the eternal shall return and come with singing to Zion. Not to Petra, notice. To Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head. Once God blesses us, just prior to the millennium and all these things happening, we're never going to be uh, in trouble again. <clears throat> Unless somehow we fail. And uh, when it comes time to flee from Jerusalem to Zion, we go back in the house or, <laughs> or whatever and don't flee, because that'll be the final cut, I think. Verse 12, I'm the one that comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? Remember the part of the message? Mankind will wither as grass there in Isaiah 40. He's rehearsing that. Don't be afraid of men. Serve me. That's said over and over and over here. Verse 17, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which is drunk at the hand of the Eternal, the cup of His fury. Uh, that's what He's done. He's scattered us. He spewed us out. He, he, he first, it says, wake up God and do your work. Then it says to Jerusalem to wake up. 
Then he describes where we are right now. <clears throat> Verse 18, There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she has brought forth. Neither is there any that takes her by the hand of all the sons that she has brought up. There's no one we can look to now. As a whole church everywhere, the splinter groups, there's no one to look to. Where, where do you go? People are confused. They wander from group to group, in the front door, out the back door, in the front door, out the back door. That's the way it is and has been now for nearly three decades. Two, anyway. Desolation of destruction, famine, the sword. How do I comfort you? Uh, we've had the spiritual sword and famine and pestilence. And most many of the church have died, fallen away. Not physical yet, like it's about to be on our nation, but spiritual. Your sons have fainted. They lay at the head of the streets. He says, hear this, verse 21, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Staggering around spiritually, because we don't know what to do. Thus says the eternal, your, the, uh, your Lord, the eternal, and your God that pleads the cause of his people, I've taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no more drink it again. So here, if we repent and turn to him with our whole heart, and he uses us as a guide to the Gentiles and as a guide to the church, uh, we're not going to have troubles anymore. We'll be delivered from that. That's the good news. I will put it in the hand of them that afflict you, which have said to your soul, bow down that we may go over. And you've laid your body as the ground and as the street to them that walked on you. It says, no more. They're not going to walk on you anymore. So again he calls in 52. Wake up, wake up. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. This is the time to be preparing the bride. The garments of righteousness. The wedding gown. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come to you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Now that's happened in the past, but he says, I'm not going to tolerate uncleanness, and everybody that bears my vessels later in this chapter has to be clean. So he says, I'm only going to bring those who are steadfast, faithful, and holy, and righteous. You're not going to have people showing up again who are unconverted for the wrong reasons. So he says, shake yourself from the dust. Get up and sit up, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bands of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. We've got this Babylonian system all around us that's had us in captivity. He says, shake free of it. Leave the city, go dwell in the wilderness. Come find me. For thus says the Eternal, you've sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. We've been in captivity of the culture around us, uh, and we willingly allowed it for nothing. Anyway, uh, those that rule over us make us to howl, middle of verse 5. Don't the authorities that we have around us in this world make us howl and scream and sigh and cry for deliverance? And even the leadership of the church throughout uh, is mystifying. Verse 7, <clears throat> How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation. And it says to Zion, Your God reigns. 
Now, that's what was said in Isaiah 40, when it says, what shall you preach? Well, it repeats it right here. God is sovereign. God will take care of you. There will be peace. The message of these prophecies. Now, that's him, or one, that does that at the beginning of verse 7. But then it goes to plural in verse 8. Thy watchmen, the two, shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Eternal shall bring back or bring again Zion. You'll read that also in Zechariah 6, where it's talking about the two witnesses. It says they'll see eye to eye at that time. So when God does the signs and wonders of Zechariah 3, it will catch the attention of one who is blind and deaf, which we read about yesterday, and he's going to wake up and come a-running and get the job done. So he says, when that happens, break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Eternal has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. So when those signs and wonders happen, our leaders will get together, the people will be stirred to come and build the temple and later Jerusalem. <laughs> be great joy and rejoicing when these things begin to happen. It says the Eternal has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. What starts this? Isaiah 44 and 45, for one thing. He'll bring forth His treasures and His hidden things, and they will show the whole world from east to west that He is God. These things keep repeating throughout. And by His healing, maybe some resurrections, He's going to show the world where God is. And He is going to have His temple clad in gold, and they're going to say, ooh, there's where God is. And the beast and the false prophet will say, well, we're God, so we better go take that over. And then they will. And God's people will flee to Zion and be protected there and blessed for three and a half years until Christ comes and puts an end to the Gentiles. So he says in verse 11, Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go you out of the midst of hers, be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. Is it any wonder that right now the corruption and pedophilia and rape and molestation and all that that's going on in Hollywood and has been for a long time is coming out? What's been the source of most of our entertainment? Disneyland and Walt Disney himself were involved in the occult. And the rides in Disneyland are of the occult. And this Weinstein uh, is only a reflection of many, many others who have abused young men and young women in Hollywood. But where do people look to their entertainment? <laughs> you know, where do they look? Be clean. Depart from that. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Eternal will go before you, <clears throat> and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Then it talks about Christ here. I'm not going to go through all of uh, the end of this chapter in 53, but it's all, all about Christ and His sacrifice and the suffering He went through. 
Now that makes me wonder with this chapter right in the middle of this context if some of this is not going to happen around Passover time. Because that's the emphasis of the time right here is what happened to Christ. And that is at Passover. But notice it says that the leaders will come together, will begin to rejoice and see uh, what God is doing. Then you have an account of the Passover. And then chapter 54 shows great joy. Sing, O barren, that you didn't, that did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the eternal. So he says, I spit it all out. I uh, spewed it all out. And here I've taken a desolate dry tree, Ezekiel 17. I clipped off a twig and I'm going to make this greater than what was. Remember where it said it's not big enough for us? Here it says, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. You're going to need a bigger place to be. (laughs) A bigger tent, if you will. For you shall break forth on the right and on the left, and your seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Jerusalem is now desolate. So are the cities of Judah in the Promised Land. They will be rebuilt. And then what does he tell us? He says you're going to be increased. You're going to need more room. Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed. Neither be you confounded. Now the whole nations of Israel are going to be confounded and ashamed, aren't they? They're going to be going into captivity with their hands on their head and their bare butts hanging out. Where's That's in Isaiah, Ezekiel. Where is that? I can't remember what it says. The nation will be in shame, but God's people who obey Him will not. For your Maker is your husband. So this is talking to the first fruits. It's talking to the bride. Right here at the end. <clears throat> the Eternal of hosts is His name, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall He be called. So he's talking about his bride here who is going to be blessed. She hasn't been glorified yet. He tells her, fear not. Well, once she's glorified, she'll have no more fear, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. So this is before that, that we get blessed in this way. For the Eternal has called you as a woman forsaken. Remember it just said he divorced us? Well, he's going to call you as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when you are refused, says your God. <clears throat> so we <clears throat> disobeyed, we went away, he put us away, and now he's going to bring us back. And he says, for a small moment have I forsaken you. Other places says, turn my head from you. But with great mercy will I gather you. Haggai again, the remnant will be gathered In a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you. And then he says, this is as the waters of Noah to me. As I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. 
<coughs> excuse me, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Eternal that has mercy on you. Now there is a whole bunch of promise and blessing right there. It'll be like the waters of Noah. He said it'll never happen again. And that's where I got the thing about the rainbow. The rainbow was a sign that it would never happen again. So he promises, based on that rainbow and upon his word, that we will be blessed forevermore. So he says, verse 11, O you afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. So it's not the bride yet. This is before then. I will lay your stones with fair colors and lay your foundations with sapphires and make your windows, talks all about precious stones here. And all the children shall be taught of the eternal and great shall be the peace of your children. And you'll be established in righteousness. There'll be no, nothing to fear and no terror and it won't come near you. Sounds like Psalm 91. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather against you shall fall for your sake. So if they come to Zion to try to destroy us, they'll fail. So seven, even eight righteous men will chase the Assyrian away in Micah 5. God has created the waster to destroy, verse 16, but he's not going to hurt us. He says in verse 17, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. You'll be able to say then, you say what you want, but look what God's doing. He's blessing us. Can't say that yet, can you? We've got nothing to say to the gainsayers. We've got nothing to say to those who accuse us, because God hasn't done it yet. But when he does, you'll say, okay, judge for yourself. Look what God has done. Who did he accept? Who did he accept? I hope it's you and me. We need to do our part to be sure that happens. This is the heritage of the servants of the Eternal, and their righteousness is of me, says the Eternal. No longer self-righteous, no longer pride, prideful or full of ego, but contrite and humble with God's righteousness. Then he says, Everyone that thirsts, come to the waters, and he that has no money, come buy and eat, Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So if the beast says you've got to have this number on your forehead or in your hand, hey, so what? <coughs> we got somebody else going to take care of us. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Your old white GMO garbage. And your labor for that which satisfies not. Hearken diligently to me, and eat you that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures. Fatness. And I'm living up to it. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So, eternal life is being promised here if we will come and serve God and be part of the bride of Christ. He says, I've given him for a witness to the people, a leader uh, and commander to the people. So, 
among our leadership will also be somewhat of a type of David. David is going to be over all the tribes of Israel in the kingdom of God, and we'll have righteous leadership here at the end as well, uh, as David was and will be. So it's a type of what David shall be. Uh, Behold, you shall call a nation that you know not, and nations that knew not you shall run to you because of the eternal your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So this is going to end in glorification. So he says, Seek him while he may be found, and let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, so that we can be glorified. Return to the eternal. So this is a cry before Christ returns. Return to him. When he returns and we rise to meet him, we won't be, in that sense, returning to him. We will have already returned so that he will resurrect us. But here's a call to turn to righteousness. And he says his thoughts are higher than ours, uh, but he will take care of us. Verse 12, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the goat hedge shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the tumbleweed shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the eternal for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Once he does this, it will carry on through until Christ returns and the millennium is established. Let's go to chapter 60. I don't have a whole lot of time left here. Uh, But this morphs on into the millennium and the great white throne judgment. And he says here, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Eternal is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people... But the Eternal shall rise upon you, and His glory shall be seen upon you. So here he's talking about the first resurrection. We're to rise, and we're to shine. Where do we get that expression, rise and shine? (laughs) Probably right here. That's where it came from. But darkness will still be over the earth, but we will rise to meet Christ in the air. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So they're going to begin to realize, wait a minute, maybe the beast and the false prophet aren't God after all. Maybe uh, maybe there's something else going on here. People begin to wake up a little bit. Uh, let's see. Verse 10, The sons of strangers shall build up your walls, and their kings shall serve you. For in my wrath I smote you, but in my favor have I had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night. That will be in the uh, New Jerusalem, chapter 21. Won't be shut. That men may bring to you the forces or the power, the health, the wealth of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Uh, Zechariah 14. If Egypt doesn't come to keep the feast, they won't have any rain. If you don't have any rain, sooner or later you'll perish. Those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. Notice this. 
the fir, the pine, and the box. Those are mentioned in chapter 41 where he says seven in the wilderness will come originally, but more and more people will come once the kingdom of God is established. The sons of them that afflicted you shall come bending to you, and all they that despised you shall bow down, them, down themselves down at the sole of your feet. Malachi 4 says there will be ashes under the feet of the righteous. And they shall call you, who? Us. The city of the eternal. The Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Remember what we read there at the beginning of the feast? Revelation 21 says, Behold, I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Show to the holy city coming down from Jerusalem. Here it's said, back, clear back in Isaiah, a prophecy of what Revelation 21 says will happen. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went to you or through you, I will make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. And you shall know that I, the Eternal, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. See why he says, fear not? we serve him, we'll wind up in glory. Chapter 61, The Spirit of the Eternal is upon me, because the Eternal has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. For he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And as we read earlier, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Eternal and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So that's the beginning of the millennium proclaimed on atonement probably of 2027. To appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give to them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the eternal, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations, Jerusalem being one of them. Now notice, when you read this in Isaiah, it goes beyond what Christ said in Luke 4. He said, I'm proclaiming the acceptable year of the eternal. But did at that time, these other things we just read happen? Was everyone set free? Did everyone have peace? Did everyone have prosperity and all of these things from then on? No. So what he proclaimed there was a partial fulfillment of what is coming here in the next few years. He said, I'm telling you, it's coming. And I'm proclaiming it, and I think he did that to show that that year was a jubilee year. <clears throat> 27 A.D. And therefore, 50 times 50 times 50 times 50 to 2027 is a jubilee cycle. And I know we don't have another 50 after that to wait. <laughs> but these things are going to happen on the jubilee. And what we just read sounds like the jubilee, doesn't it? Verse 3 and verse 4. But that didn't happen then. He was just announcing that it is going to happen and setting a time frame for it, I do believe. All right, I want two more verses... Let's go to John 7. <clears throat> John 7. 
Here Christ stood up on the last great day of the feast, which is the day that we are observing today, and he gave a message. <clears throat> they were questioning who he was and what kind of a prophet he was just before this. But in verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Emmanuel stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now we know from John 6:44 and other scriptures that no man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. So nobody right now can come to God and be converted unless God calls him, unless he opens his mind to understand. Because the carnal mind is contrary to God and is deceitful and desperately wicked, and no one can know it, and it will not of itself be converted. Now, he's talking about a different time here now. Not like it is now, where only the called of God can come, because he's saying, I'm going to call everybody. Anybody who wants can come at that time. Not just he who is done by a special calling. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. By this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because he was not yet glorified. So, he was going to open it up. Up to that point, he had only been working with his disciples, who became apostles, and he says to Peter, when you are converted. So they weren't converted yet at that point. They did not have his Holy Spirit at that point. Then on Pentecost in Acts 2, he gave his Holy Spirit, but still it was only to those who were specifically called, as John 6 says. So he's going beyond that here and says, any man who is thirsty can come and drink. And the last great day of the feast is pictured by all those from Adam and Eve through the millennium, or at least to the beginning of the millennium, who have lived and died and never known the truth will have their opportunity. Any man can come at that time. Let's see that <clears throat> uh, confirmed, reaffirmed in Revelation 22, where he says that... Uh, the kingdom will come down as the holy city, the bride of Christ. And in uh, verse 22 of 21, it says, I saw no temple therein, for the eternal God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, which we just read in Isaiah. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Why didn't we see all those years in world, worldwide that the Father and the Son both came? says it right here. <laughs> came down with a heavenly Jerusalem, which is the beginning of the millennium. Anyway, uh, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor to it. So there's still human beings here, right? Kings of the earth are bringing their honor. Uh, we had a false doctrine for years that God was going to burn up the whole earth uh, and then create all things new, and we misunderstood what it was saying. Uh, this culture, this society, this pollution 
is going to be done away with. But it says down here that a, a river will come out to heal the nations. Well, if the whole earth has been burned up and recreated, why does it need to come out to heal the nations? They're already healed. It's already done. No, it's still there. The nations of the earth will come. And there'll still be evil and wicked ones around when the new heavens and new earth are here. Want me to read that to you too? They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. They'll still be wicked around, but they will not be allowed in the city. Doesn't Zechariah 14 say that? If they don't come up to keep the feast, they will rebel against God. They'll get no rain. So in the new heavens and new earth, there's still those around who have a rebellious spirit and attitude. If they're wicked, they're not allowed in the city. That sort of goes against your Protestant song, doesn't it? What is it there in Zechariah? Um, the new... the. And all who would might enter, and no one was denied. What, what's the name of that song? I, the, the New Jerusalem, I guess it is. <clears throat> but they contradict the Bible in the song itself. All who would might enter, and no one was denied. It says right here, the wicked are denied, doesn't it? <laughs> they won't be allowed to be there. So throw that song out. Beautiful song. I used to sing it and loved it and enjoyed it and was inspired by it. And I began to realize that they're not telling the truth here. So he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear and crystal, as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And then there was the tree of life, twelve manner of fruit, and these went out to heal the nations. That means they hadn't all been healed. New heaven and new earth's here, and healing is still going on. So it hadn't been totally destroyed and created new. That was Ellen G. White from Isaiah 24, who left out pieces of verses there to come up with that doctrine, and Leroy Neff and Garner Ted came up with it, and it was wrong. Be no more cursed, for the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, those who had been sealed. Now let's go on down uh, to verse uh, 12. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now this is a summary. The Christ is coming to judge, and he'll judge us, and we will either be worthy or not. You and I do not have to sit like the sheep and the goats, and be put on the right or the left. That's being done now for us. Now is a day of salvation for the first fruits, for the bride. By the time Christ returns, He will have either judged you worthy of resurrection as part of the bride of Christ or not. He's not going to come and sit down and go through each of our histories and say left or right. No, we'll either rise to meet him in the air or we won't. That judgment will have already been made. 
He says, judgment is now upon the house of God. You and I are being judged. When he comes back, he will begin a period of judgment for millennial people. Then a period of judgment for great white throne judge people. Now, when he comes back, he'll begin to sort them right and left by how they act and live over a period of a hundred years in the millennium. So it's a period of judgment, not just a suddenly sitting down and saying, you look like a goat, go away, and you look like a sheep. No, it's a period of time in which he judges them. A hundred years, Isaiah 65 says, during the millennium they'll live. See, that is, oh, let's just throw that in there right quick. We just misunderstood Isaiah 65, totally. It's not talking about the great white throne judgment in Isaiah 65. It's talking about the millennium. Notice verse 17 of Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So here he's talking about the new heavens and new earth, which we read about in Revelation 21 and 22, right? And notice what's there in the new heavens and the new heavens and new earth. It's the point I want to make here. I created new heavens and new earth, but you be you glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a jo- rejoicing and her people a joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So that's what he promises the bride in Revelation 21, right? So we will be in the new heaven and new earth, and we will have no more trouble. But notice someone else. Let's go on. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years. Oh, there's people dying during the new heavens and new earth. The child's going to die a hundred years old. I'm not talking about the bride. She's not going to see any more death. But the people in the new heavens and new earth, which is during the millennium and the great white throne judgment, cursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people... And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And it talks about their offspring at the end of verse 23. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion eat straw like the bullock. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. They're still human in the new heavens and the new earth. He talks about it some more down here. In verse 22 of 66, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Eternal, so shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Eternal. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their flesh be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So here again, 
He makes the new heavens and the new earth. And there's still people around who are flesh. So our old doctrine is out the window. The Father and the Son will come at the beginning of the millennium. That is when the new heavens and the new earth comes. That's what Revelation 21 says very clearly. And the bride will rule with the Father and the Son. And waters will go out to heal the nations. I didn't finish where I was going in chapter 22 of Revelation. Uh, speaking of the last great day. Verse 17. Uh, and the Spirit and the bride, not just the Spirit of God, but here the bride along with him say, Come. So the bride will speak to those who are not yet part of the kingdom of God during the millennium and the great white throne judgment. The, the bride will say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. So this is, shows a combination of the Spirit of God and the bride who will be there as the mother of the world at that time offering salvation to all people who are alive at that time. So it'll be like Christ said there in John 7. Any man who is a thirst, let him come. And the bride will say, anybody who wants salvation, come. Because we will be worshipped as deity then. The wicked will come and bow their knee before us because we will at that time be worthy of worship. That indicates to me that that change will be a great change because we certainly aren't worthy of worship today. But God can change all that. We can try to be perfect now, but we will not manage it. We can overcome now, as I told you before. He that overcomes shall be in my kingdom, not he who is perfect. Because you won't be made perfect until you rise from this earth and are transformed into spirit. Then is when perfection comes, and not until then, because it's impossible for you and me to become perfect. But God can make us that way. So, that's the end of the story in terms of God beginning to bless the church now as a type of the millennium. Then that blessing goes through the millennium and on into the great white throne judgment, all the millennial conditions during the new heavens and new earth when the earth will be healed and all people will have opportunity to come to God and be saved. But the wicked will not be allowed and they will wind up perishing. So anyway, that's the end of the speaking part of the Feast of Tabernacles on the last great day. We have one more potluck to endure and enjoy. <laughs> we'll enjoy it and then endure after it. Maybe that's the way it is. But I appreciate all the uh, cooperation and the help and the food preparation and cleaning the house and the offerings and the special music and just everything you've done uh, compositely to make this, to me, a, a beautiful, uh, peaceful time. <clears throat> and I hope it reflects to God uh, a type of His millennium and peace on earth. And I, I think, to a great degree, hopefully we've accomplished that. It's been, if there's anything going on besides peace and cooperation, I haven't seen it anyway. So I do appreciate all of you and what you've done to 
to help show a type of what God is going to bring to the world very soon. So be careful going home. Those of you who are traveling, God be with you and spend some time, all the time you can manage, <clears throat> meditating, praying, thinking on these things because I think we are going to see week by week, day by day, week by week, month by month from here on in, we're going to see escalating trouble uh, because that's what the prophecies seem to indicate and I think we've arrived at the time that that is occurring. So things are going to get a lot worse. So be as close to God as you can. Don't fear the world. Fear God. Serve Him. And He will deliver and protect and bless us. That is the message that I wanted to get across and I hope I've been able to here at the Feast of Tabernacles.